Summer happens at Speedway because everything you need for summer happens at Speedway. Like drinks, drinks happen. The freshly brewed drink, the splashed over ice drink, the wake you up drink, the cool you off drink, the make your brain hurt for a minute drink. All poured however you want them, whenever you want them, all summer long. So on every hot day, you have something cold to sip. Speedway, summer happens here. And now, get any size fountain or speedy freeze for just 99 cents. Excludes maximum. Hello and welcome to another episode of the GC Sunscast, the longest running Gold Coast Sun Show on the interwebs. All thanks to your Patreon sponsors, Dale Snelling, Paul Vosti, Robbie Fiorini, Brody Burgess, Kate Kelland, Tom Kim, Chris Moore and Tim. You can join our Patreon sponsors over at patreon.com forward slash GC Sunscast where you can support the show. Otherwise, if you can't afford to spare a few dollars, that's all right. Head on over to Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can get good uh, podcasts from. Uh, Like, subscribe and review and it goes a long way to helping grow the GC Sunscast community. Anyway, let's get on with it. I'm your host Shane and tonight, welcome to the show, Michael Whiting. Okay, Shane, how are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks for coming back on the show again. Um, it's been an interesting time, I guess, since we last spoke. You uh, had quite a bit on your plate this time, la- or not this time last year, but by the end of last year with all the AFL that was happening in Queensland. Uh, did you enjoy the Brisbane Grand Final? Yeah, I loved it. It was a funny old year, and I'm sure three out of four people you talk to on the street would say the same thing like last year was so crazy for a lot of different reasons but ended up being super busy um august september october three or four games a week coverage i had to get to which was great it was really tiring being at um a lot of late night games but i knew at the time it was something i'd never get to experience again so tried to lap it up as much as i could and even now it still feels surreal to think there was a grand final in our backyard in southeast Queensland. I mean, I I live in Brisbane. I'm sure a lot of your listeners live in Brisbane or the Gold Coast. So to think we had a grand final here still feels a bit weird, but um, amazing experience and something I'm sure I'll look back on in the years to come and think how lucky how lucky I was. Yeah, certainly a bit of a history making event. Uh, something I wanted to get into on this episode with you is the process of attending, uh, I guess, mainly Gold Coast Suns games at Metricon, but mm. I'd imagine it's a similar process whether you're attending the Gabba for the Brisbane um, games or even finals games that were played up here uh, last year. What's the process like from a media point of view? How does your day go? Like, What sort of access do you guys get to, to the game? during before and after yeah so a a typical game day for me um i'd probably try and arrive at the venue maybe 90 minutes beforehand um uh, that used to be yeah somewhere around 90 minutes beforehand so when we're at metricon stadium we um the written journalists have a a media box it's on level four in the, the main grandstand side there so there's like a whole Basically, there's the, the coaches' boxes, the written media box, and then all the radio boxes are right next to each other. So we're all on the same level. Uh, once we go into that box, I'll do a bit of prep pre-game. Um, once the game starts, we've got there's two TVs in the room, so we've got one in each corner. That's 
really handy um, because you just can't catch everything sometimes. A lot of the time you've got your head down making notes about how a goal was scored or match-ups or you know, any number of things you're trying to make notes on. Um, you might have your head down so it's good to have a TV on just as... I guess it's there just in case. So um, you're receiving uh, like the Channel 7 commentary team or the Fox commentary team while you... We are. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're receiving one of those. Some guys like... Uh, some of the media in there like to listen to radio. I'm just quite happy with the TV on. There's normally a, a slight delay, which is actually very handy um, because by the time you've looked up and seen what's happened sometimes, the, the replay will come on. So we've got access to that. We get uh, champion data stats come through after each quarter. But they're only the basic statistics that the rest of you would see through the AFL app or wherever you get your stats from. So yeah. we don't have the same access that, say, coaches would. They might they get stuff like ground ball differentials and all sorts of very technical stats that we never see. So we get the same basic stuff that um, the rest of the public gets, but we get those each quarter. I guess if there's an incident in a match, say on the weekend, if... Um, I mean, it was pretty obvious that Shawnee Lemons had been concussed, but if there's a knee injury or another injury, um, we're able to get in touch with the Suns media guys quite quickly, and they'll be trying to let us know as, as soon as they find out something. Sometimes they'll be in the rooms, and it's as simple as them asking the doctor and then relaying it to us, and we can get it out so that the rest of the public can find out an update on an injury. So that's probably the... I guess the immediate access we have to things while a game's going. Yeah, and uh, I guess at the end of the game, you sit and talk to the other uh, written media journalists with you, and sort of yeah. do you discuss certain points of the uh, game and get like a different perspective? And does that ever change your your article? Does it change anything that you put into your article? Um, yeah, it's a pretty sort of small. Um, written community, I would say, in here, whether it's Gold Coast or Brisbane, you're generally seeing the same faces, the same three or four or five faces each time. So we're normally talking pretty much through the game. It's almost like a little team in there, to be honest. If a couple of guys have got their head down filing and something happens, we're always sort of there to help each other out to an extent. Um, how did that happen? How did he kick that goal? Who passed it to him? Like, we're sort of there to help each other for stuff like that. When it comes to an article, I don't generally have my opinion changed by what other guys say, other than just those the facts that you might have not quite caught on the field. Yeah. It was, yeah, who set up a goal or, or who, who did something good. Sometimes at the end of the game, fans probably won't like hearing this, but um, best players is can be really tricky sometimes when you're sitting in the box and um, it, it's generally a real scramble to get best players down and I know sometimes when you're watching on the TV it's a bit frustrating when you've watched a game, had your opinion and you look at best players on an internet article like mine or in a newspaper and they so wildly vary but um, I would sort of estimate that we probably we probably end up watching 70% of the game I reckon at a stab um, if you take out making notes and also trying to prepare for your story to be written as close to the full-time siren as you can. So sometimes halfway through that last quarter, I, I won't watch um, some of the last quarter because I'm trying to get a head start on my story as I've got to have it filed sort of within five minutes of the final siren. So um, probably not what people like to hear, but it's just um, the reality of the job to try and get it 
um, done as quickly as you can. So yeah, we no, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I get that with the stats and the best on ground. Um, I mean, that's I I walk away from a football game and I usually can't decide who would be in the best. Um, mm. There's occasionally one or two players that really stand out and then you look at their stats at the end of the game and you're like, oh, they didn't have as much of an impact as I thought they did, but I guess it was just the timing. Um, and then there's players that you look at and they've just got so many disposals or tackles or something and you think, oh, yep. they were really underrated. They were clearly had an impact on the field. We just didn't see it as much. Um so I completely that's, get that's, that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Shane. That, that's the ones you second guess, actually, quite yeah. often, particularly those inside midfielders. When you're at the ground, you don't see a lot of their work. It might be on the far side of the field or in the far pocket. or um, And then you look up and see, geez, he's had 28 disposals and 10 clearances. I'd look pretty stupid if I didn't have him in the best players. So yeah. they're the ones where you do have your mind changed sometimes by looking at numbers. And um, after after a, a game, you finish, you put your article up, and then I notice there's usually a bit of a delay, um, saying you know to be continued or more to come. Yep. And then you head down, I presume, downstairs to a, a room, and Stuart Jew would walk in, and then you get a ask a few questions along with the other journalists. Um, what's that process like? As it, is it very from from some uh, coaching panels I've seen, it looks like it gets very standoffish and heated. But I think with Stuart Jew, it would be... He's got a pretty good relationship with you guys, doesn't he? Like, it's very sort of open. Yeah, he does. He's... Um, I mean, maybe he's just familiar with the local journos. But I, I think he's... If you watch press conferences from him around the country, I think he's the same demeanour no matter what. Um, I like dealing with him. I think he's pretty honest. If they've played poorly, he says that. He doesn't um, get too protective. He's not going to throw his players under the bus by any stretch, but um, he's he's um, open enough to tell you the truth. So the process is um, 20 minutes after the final siren, The usually the winning coach will be first, although it might depend if, a, if there's a twilight game on the Gold Coast and, a, and the travelling teams from Melbourne, they they might go first regardless because they've got a flight that night. But generally the first coach will speak 20 minutes after the siren and then the second coach will come in after that, so maybe 30 minutes after the siren. That can be delayed sometimes depending on what's happened post-match. But And the, the press conferences, um, sometimes there are, it, it often depends what time of the day they are. Uh, like last weekend, for example, like the night matches, if they're finishing at 10 o'clock and 10.30 and a couple of the uh, print journalists that might write for the Courier Mail or the Age in Melbourne are really, really tight on a deadline. They might have a deadline of 11 o'clock, so we try and speed those press conferences up. So if they go for four or five minutes, generally it's because we're trying to speed it up so that those guys can get their quotes into the into the newspaper for the next day. So um, that might explain. I often wonder that people might think it's silly sometimes that we ask four or five questions and that's it rather than going a bit deeper like some presses do, but that's the reasoning behind that. So as soon as the press conferences are done, we all um, scurry back upstairs to the, to 
to the uh, media room, update our stories or write our, our yes. separate follow-up stories. So they're pretty straightforward then. I guess what we see on the Gold Coast Suns website or the AFL website, like an actual video off the coaches' press conference, that's pretty much exactly what you guys get. There's not too much happening either side that we don't get to see, is there? No, no, particularly from since last year and COVID, there used to be a little uh, corridor outside. There's a corridor outside the Suns change room that would link their change room to the media room and we used to stand in that corridor and you might be able to yap to a few players or um, chat to some coaching staff or you, you might get into the rooms. But, of course, that's changed now as of last year and it's still not open so we don't have that little bit of um, chit-chat or a bit of banter maybe you know, prior to the press conferences that we used to have, now it's very much in, out, job done. So what you see with the full press conference is, is literally all we get. Hmm. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Um, let's, look, let's look at what's just happened. Round three, Gold Coast Suns lost to Carlton, eight goals, 11.59, to nine goals, 16.70. Uh, the only multiple goal scorer for the Suns was Alex Sexton, and um, it was one of those nights where it, the, I guess the slippery ball and the Jew, Jew of Metricon Stadium really had the best of both teams. Uh, there were moments there where it looked like some players had the ball on the string and were able to execute seamlessly with their skills. But uh, for most of the night, it was almost comical the way the ball was at ground level and no one could seem to pick it up or mark it. Um, how did you see the foot, the game evolving from your seat in the, the media box? Yeah, well, actually, I've, I've got to confess here, I wasn't at the game Saturday night. I oh, okay. watched it on TV like everyone. I was, I was uh, in Brisbane covering the AFL women's preliminary final, and there wasn't enough time between the games to get down. So I was, um, I tell you, would be one of the first games I've missed at Metricon, actually. It was, I found it really weird watching it at home. But I think you've, um, put forward a pretty good summary there. It was just frustrating, even if you didn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak. The f- skills um, were poor for a lot of the night, and, and the dew is a problem, but it's anyone that's watched the games here know that that's coming, no matter what time of the year. It's going to be like wet weather footy. So um, sometimes I think the decision-making was a bit was poor. I think they try to be a bit cute sometimes. Um, and that leads to mistakes. Um, but the last quarter, Gold Coast just, I'd say, lost ascendancy. Well, they didn't have ascendancy. They certainly lost any control around the stoppages. And once Carlton had it in their forward 50, it just wasn't coming out. So Gold Coast were able to hang in, but it just never felt like they were going to get over the line. So I'd say frustrating was the word that comes to mind for me. Yeah, it was a very frustrating game. I took a friend of mine who hasn't been to a football game for a while He's a Hawthorne supporter, but was more than happy to get on the Suns. Um, but after after about quarter time, I think we just sort of found ourselves cheering the Suns to get to 60 points so we could get the free Big Mac. And uh, ultimately, we were let down because they fell one point short. <laughs> and um, we didn't win Double anything win. that night. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's good that you sort of, I guess, for this for this uh, podcast, it's good that you were watching from TV because I was at the game and I saw things mm. from a different point of view. Um, it seemed like Gold Coast was sort of being kept in it 
because of the umpiring and Carlton's poor disposal efficiency. Um, and the Gold Coast weren't that much better. I mean, our, the best players I've picked was Greenwood. He had a player rating of 27.5. He had 27 disposals, but only at 63% efficiency. Uh, what made his performance so good was his wet weather work, his 10 tackles, 10 clearances. He yep. did the grunt of the work at, when it was at ground level. Uh, Bose only had an 8.3 player rating, and you would think he would be in the best with his 34 disposals, but he had, he was operating at 67% efficiency and had nine clangers, which is the worst on the field. So he, he was really struggling with probably the pressure Carlton were putting on him coming out of defence. And one thing I noticed at the game was the leading forwards and the players that were sort of leading to take, uh, to provide options, they would sort of give a half lead and then double back as if nah, it's not going to work. But by the time the kicking player had realised that there was a lead, the lead had, had failed, uh, he'd already gone through the kicking process and either couldn't or wouldn't adjust his, his kick to suit the conditions. I think it was Burgess I saw at one point lead for about 5-10 metres and then just stop and turn around. And yeah, I, that, one of the can't players, be doing that when a guy's yeah, and looking one, for an option, can the, you? The kicker was in the process, kicked the ball, and Burgess's opponent just continued on and took an uncontested mark. So I think that was happening a lot all over the ground. Do you know who the forwards coach is there at the Suns? Because I've been scratching my head trying to figure that one out for a few years now. And you've got me on the hop here. I should have, I should have looked this up before, and I'll get back to you later in, in the pod. But I think you're... <laughs> well, that's a good... I mean, that's an interesting point. It's probably not something we get a perspective of when you're not at the ground, the, the, like the half lead. Mm. Um, and funny about Jack Bowes, he's... I watched his game and was like, I don't think he's having the influence his numbers were. And you look at his numbers and he's got 34. One thing I've noticed about Jack is, and I think it's a little bit of a failing of his, it's a simple thing, but I think he clearly hasn't developed the left foot. And a handful of times the other night, when he's pinned and someone's on his right side, he's having to kick a little awkward banana that inevitably is a turnover, probably... A handful of those clangers. So there's a couple of little skill um, development, I guess, areas that um, some of the players could work on. That was just a really noticeable one to me. Yeah, and I think it was not highlighted because of that holding the ball call late in the game. Uh, yep, yep. Quite questionable whether it hit the ground. I couldn't see from my point of view on the ground, and I haven't slowed down the the video footage enough to to check if it did hit the ground first, but. Got to take the umpire on their word. They're saying it was a drop kick. And um, you got to question it, whether it would have been a drop kick if he kicked on his left. Yeah, and it's and it might be something he only needs three times a game for an instance like that when you didn't, might need a 20-metre chip out of um, trouble in your, in your defensive end. But it, it's just something like that that can get you out of trouble. I think my, my initial thought, I didn't I haven't gone back to, I didn't go and slow it down either, but um, it looked like a drop kick when I first watched it. Um, you could almost see it unfolding. <laughs> like, Jack, kick it, kick it, kick it. Yeah. It was too late. So and He's um, had a couple of incidents like that in the last few games. I think it might have been the Crows game or the West Coast game. 
He tried to do too much coming out of the back half and got tackled, holding the ball, gave away an easy goal to the opposition. So he's just going to do a bit better at knowing when to, to release that ball and just instead of just giving away a free goal, basically, to the opposition. Because even a long kick down the line, as much as I hate to say that, is a better option than turning it over for holding the ball. Absolutely. When you're in trouble, that that's not a bad option at all. I, we might get to this, but I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on um, the ball movement. It's something that I've just got to, I guess I'd, I'd classify it as I watch this space for the Suns over the next few weeks. I think they've got um, some speed in that back half and they've you know, recruited Oleg Markov, who I've um, liked a few games this season. Uh, we haven't seen Rory Atkins yet, hopefully not too far away, but there's a bit of speed in that back half that we're not really seeing. I feel like the ball movement's a bit stagnant, a little bit chip, 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 um, a little bit cute, I guess I'd call it. I, I don't know if that's how, how you see it or I'm maybe reading a bit much into it. No, absolutely. Uh, the game against West Coast, I was actually really delighted with seeing the Suns show that sort of composure, mm. the slow footy, slow it down, look for the option. But I felt like in that game they at least knew when to apply the pressure and turn the speed up and go straight down trying to get a goal. Uh, the last two games, we haven't seen them do that. They've tried to slow it down. They've done that, but they don't know when to turn it back up again. And unless they're going to play fast... Well, let's just say the teams at the top of the ladder at the moment, they're all playing fast, free-flowing footy. And Correct. that's because the new rules allow them to play on and get an advantage on the opposition and move the ball, giving the forwards a one-on-one and the ability to win. Have you been to Express lately? People can't get enough of their clothes. They're like insta-confidence boosters. The jeans come in a temp-control fabric that keeps you comfortable no matter the weather. And the T-shirts, hands down, they'll feel like they're made of the softest fabric you've ever worn. And get this, the suits have stretch and look sharp. Like, what? How do they do that? Everyone's raving about the newest looks from Express. Just check out the five-star reviews. See for yourself and shop the latest at express.com and in stores. Win the ball and kick the goals. The Gold Coast Suns just aren't doing that. Ben King's struggling, and in most cases on uh, Saturday night, he was getting two-teamed by uh, Liam Jones and Jacob Wiedering. So two of Carlton's best defenders, two of the best defenders in the AFL, and Ben King is only a third-year player. He can't deal with that and the Suns aren't helping him out so I feel like I feel like we really need to just turn the heat up on the club and the club needs to or the players need to start taking the game on I don't know if that's a coaching directive to just continue and persist with this slow footy or whether they want to slow and when they slowly want to introduce the the Suns to be a bit more free and a bit more aggressive with their ball movement i know that's something they've been focused on this year but we i don't know if they're focusing on the slow ball movement or the fast ball movement do you do you have any indication on that well well i'm with you on the west coast game i think um from what i can gather the the thought process there was trying to keep the ball away from shepherd mcgovern and barass who are so good at rolling off their man and intercept marking so i could I thought that was a good tactic as well. I thought they were very clever there, playing keepings off, and then when they went, they went very quickly. But I'm with you the last couple of weeks. I don't think there's been a a reason to do that. And when I think about putting 
um, speed on the ball, as they like to say in the industry. That's it, not just league speed, but your speed of decision making. So I, I think in that, I'm thinking from the back half and the midfield. Um, I mean, obviously, if you get a turnover, you, you should be trying to go quite quickly while the defence is disorganised. But from a more stagnant setup or a slower turnover, I think you should be looking to. We should be looking for more handball receives to get Oleg Markov or maybe a Lockie Weller or even a Will Powell, who I think's not as quick as those other two guys, but quick enough and quite a good ball user. You should be trying to get those guys going with handball receives or. It might be simple, something simple like moving Jack Lacocious back to half-back because he's a very quick decision-maker with the ball in his hand and he can hit those um, little kicks on the 45 quickly and get guys get the ball moving quickly. So it's not just the leg speed but the speed of decisions that I'm keen to see improve. And uh, I mean, I think ultimately that's the way they will want to play and that's the way they should play because that's the strength it's what I would see as the strength of Gold Coast team is their their speed, their use and their speed. Yeah, exactly. Their player strengths, everything you've just said, uh, not just because I've got Oleg Markov in my AFL fantasy side, but we <laughs> should be using him more often, using his ability to just bust through that middle. His kicking's not great, but if he can just bust through there with speed, hit it, lace out, and give our forwards one-on-one chance, even if... Um, well, uh, one of our comments from one of our fans, Sharon Edwards, is talking about how injuries have affected the Suns and maybe that's why we're struggling so much. And that's certainly a part in it, but now's the time to, to switch things up. And I think you go fast, use that strength, and coming up this week when we play the Bulldogs, you know, let's just go go for a smaller forward line. Let's just all go, go all in on speed. Get the ball off half back with Lacocious down there, like you said. Push the ball forward and have everyone just run back, like uh, what Richmond were doing a few years ago. Just have a wave of Gold Coast Suns forwards rushing down there to kick, get that ball and have a shot at goal. It was funny. I certainly wasn't um, death riding the injuries for the Suns this year, but I'd mentioned to a couple of people at the club in the preseason. Gee, I'd love to see. Ben King with a bunch of smalls and just see how it works and <laughs> maybe we will see that <laughs> this weekend and I'll tell you if, if you want to play quick there's no better chance than this weekend you're going to be playing um, at Marvel Stadium super quick ground against another team that likes to play pretty quickly so obviously it all starts in the midfield and I think it was Sharon you said it was that um, commented that the injuries have taken a toll and yes that's true like Jared Witz is probably a bigger loss than people think, not just for what he does as a ruckman, but he's the physical presence. He's a 208-centimetre giant that midfielders walk out next to and feel better having him there. So missing him is huge. And And when they go for that long kick down the line, he's their target nine out of ten times. And they still tried to do that on the weekend without him there. Speaking of uh, Witz's replacement with uh, Caleb Graham, how did you think he went? I thought he was okay, but I was watching him in the warm up because he was doing his warm up before the game, right in front of where I was sitting. And Kurt Tippett was testing him out, but Kurt Tippett was pretty much winning every tap. I know Tippett's an experienced player, but he he's had a, a couple of years out of the system now, and he he was just toweling up Caleb Graham. So I hope Graham's learning from Tippett in that regard. 
I'm sure he would be, but it's, that probably wouldn't fill you with a lot of confidence <laughs> pre-match. But it's funny that Caleb, you know, we heard that he, he played a bit of Rutgers uh, as a junior, but obviously that's totally different where he's probably at least as big as, if not bigger than his opponent compared to going against men. But I thought he was okay. He was competitive and um, he was able to sort of provide enough of a contest for, for Miller and Greenwood and... Um, and the rest of the midfield crew, Noel Anderson, to to scavenge around and win the clearances. So I think he did an all right job. I think there is difficult decisions coming up this weekend with whether to stick with that, uh, throw him back because the dogs have got a few tall forwards to contend with. Um, but I think he was okay. Yeah, I think he did not a bad job. Of it. They're obviously hoping that Zach Smith's now two to three weeks away. Obviously, you don't want to rush him back, but boy, just having a, a reliable ruckman at the contest will be a, a big big help structurally for the for the Suns. It, it would, yeah. Um, how do you think this... How did it look on TV, the Suns players? Did they start to look exhausted early on? Because I think it was around the third quarter. I was watching them and a few of them just weren't getting to contest and I was starting to think, geez, these guys look exhausted. Absolutely buggered. Um, yeah, I, I actually... I did make a note. I actually... I'm sure I wrote that in my notes late in the third quarter. I thought that was both teams, though, in fairness. I yeah. thought they, I thought both teams looked absolutely had it late in that third quarter. So um, that probably explains a bit with the last quarter and the lack of run and just no ability to get the ball out of that defensive 50. But, and, yeah, you're right. And for those not in Queensland, Saturday was so such a bloody hot day. I reckon it was around mm. 31 or 32 degrees, yeah. and it was very hot and humid so the the level of dew and the slipperiness was really a result of just how hot it was that day compared to normal but a lot of questions we get regarding the slippery games night games like that is number one why does the afl schedule games at night in slippery conditions here in queensland and number two why doesn't the suns why don't they train in these conditions and why aren't they more familiar with playing and, and using their skills in these conditions? Well, that part I can't answer because I, <laughs> I was speaking to someone from there today saying, you, your home ground should be a, a serious weapon. It should be, <laughs> yeah. More exposure to it. They um, Gold Coast, they don't do it every week, and but they do it. It's sporadic, I would say, the nighttime sessions, so they, they do train it occasionally, but I, I'm with you, probably should happen more often. Um, and as for the scheduling, I think I can. I don't think I'm speaking out of school here by saying that's that'll be television decisions mainly. So, mm. um, particularly this season with the with the rolling fixture and um, things sort of changing every couple of weeks. But generally, that would be a, a TV decision. And um, you know, Channel Seven has the picks the best game for Thursday night, and then Fox picks it. You know, it'll, it'll just um, be haggling between the the networks and who's putting what games where. Yeah, it is um, interesting to see how we go uh, with the rolling fixture this year. How many primetime games we get? Because that game against Carlton was free to wear in Victoria, Channel 7. And um, I don't think it would have been the greatest viewing, uh, considering the other game that was on was Collingwood GWS, and that seemed to be more of an interesting game from, I guess, the storyline point of view, at least, with the way the Giants played. But... um, it's going to be interesting to see just how many more primetime games the Suns get this year. Um, it, might, it might come down to the next fortnight, Shane. Like if you if 
Gold Coast can, um, I mean, a win this weekend against the Western Bulldogs would put the Suns right on the map for <laughs> for television networks and the AFL. So obviously they they become very desirable very quickly playing open footy and winning games. Yeah, it will. And the Bulldogs are our competition next week. That game's been moved to a twilight game. I believe it's about 4.20 now. Uh, So it doesn't uh, clash with the AFLW Grand Final. That game for the Suns is luckily at Marvel Stadium, so it's under the roof. If they want to use their chip-chip abilities and skills, then they're not going to have to worry about poor weather interrupting it it's just going to be whether they can execute um but what's interesting is going to see how we line up against a dog which dog side which is full of run full of carry and very damaging when they go forward um we've seen some really good contests between the suns and the dogs in previous years so hopefully this one is similar and i think if the suns are the win like i said earlier they've got to switch it up and go fast down the line they need to bring in some players with that run and carry um, and Atkins and try to isolate some of our forwards or bring everyone up the ground and just do that that running wave and kick into space. Mm-hmm. But the Bulldogs defenders are probably smart enough to to peel back and man the space as a, a bit of a goalkeeper scenario. But the Suns need to be a bit more adventurous if they're yeah, going to I- have any chance to win. They do. They play the ground very well, obviously, the dogs, but I don't think their defence has been tested a ton this year. I, I still, I think there's a question mark over their defence. It's Alex Keith, Ryan Gardner, uh, Eastern Wood, very good defender, but um, uh, Johannesson's come back into the team. Like I, I think they are um, vulnerable. If you, can, if you can move the ball quickly and isolate them, I, I think you can get them in one-on-one contests. So... I think you're right. I'd love to see the shackles released a bit this week and Gold Coast try and play a little bit, I wouldn't say carefree, but just with a bit more dare. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of injuries out of the last game. As you mentioned earlier, Lemons has a concussion, so he's going to miss at least one week. And uh, Charlie Ballard injured his ankle, was able to play out the rest of the game, but he's been listed as a test and the club has said that he has some significant swelling there, so they're going to be working overtime to try to get that down uh, for him to, to take part. So fingers crossed we get Charlie Ballard out there. He's such a key part of the Sun side. And uh, I remember his first game debuting against the Dogs, and mm-hmm. he, he tends to have a pretty good game every time he plays them. He, he they, He's needed out there on Saturday. Yeah. The, the Dogs have got um, three informed tall forwards and they gave um, the Brisbane defenders a lot of headaches last weekend um, Aaron Norton Tim English and Josh Bruce so uh, Charlie Ballard's a very much needed member of that team on Saturday yep and in other news the AFLW coach David Lake has resigned he also is followed by Sam Virgo who is retired uh, they had the club champion award with Lauren Ahrens winning uh, Ali Drennan came in second and Daisy Darcy came in third so with the women's season over they can turn their attention to next season and uh, hopefully get a few more wins or at least a win uh, more than what they got this year Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they go with down the coaching path Uh, there's been a couple of calls for female coaches in the, the AFLW 
I'm not aware of too many, but I don't exactly follow the AFLW mm. as closely as some. Not, the coaching department isn't something I, I know a lot about yeah. either, to be honest, but I mean, Gold Coast have just got to get the best person they can. Obviously, obvious yeah. comment, but... Um, but boy, it was a disappointing season this yeah. year. And um, you you saw the the level of the AFLW in the prelim yeah. on the weekend with Brisbane, and I'm sure you would have seen some of the Suns AFLW games. Like, there's yep. a big difference in skill and ability uh, between those two sides, isn't there at the moment? Yeah, there's a, there is a big gap. I thought Saturday's preliminary final for a, between Brisbane and Collingwood as an advertisement for the game was great. Um, mm so physical, so quick. Um, that was probably the thing I noticed, and, and that's a big jump from where Gold Coast was this year to Brisbane is um, speed and their ability to run hard and um, and even some of the bodies. The, Brisbane's have got a mix of young and old players, but so have Gold Coast, but Brisbane's bodies just seem to seem a bit more hardened. So there's a bit of work to do for Gold Coast. So there's some obvious talent. Um, I liked a couple of the younger players this year. Um, Lucy Single, Maddie Levi. I thought there were some really promising signs, but um, there's a lot of work to do to to bridge the gap to those top teams. Yeah. And to finish up, I want to remind everyone the Gold Coast Suns BFL side has their first game this weekend, Saturday. I believe that's also been shifted to about 11 a.m. because of the AFLW. Um, they take on Footscray down in Melbourne. So if you're down that way, head along and support the Gold Coast Suns VFL side. Uh, for those not able to make it, it appears as though KO has struck a deal and will be broadcasting VFL games live this year. Unfortunately, I'm looking at the KO website now and it doesn't look like the Gold Coast Suns game will be among the live games for this week. Uh, but hopefully we can catch a replay or in future we'll see some Gold Coast Suns VFL games there. Um, so that's good news. We'll hopefully get to see a bit more of the Gold Coast Suns in the reserves and see how they compete. I'd love that. I, I mean, I, I, I rarely get to watch, like previously, Neeful or, I mean, obviously last year we didn't get to watch much, but it's really difficult um, with my job and you're trying to keep up with the AFL to watch the VFL, but I would love to watch more VFL for you this year, so um, hopefully um, plenty of Suns games get on to KO. Yeah, absolutely, and um, I mean, Suns fans have to remember that you know, you're also covering Brisbane games, so you're not just watching one Suns game, you're watching a Brisbane no. game as well, and, and I guess the only what... time you look forward to it is when it's um, a Q clash, because then one game becomes, uh, two games became, become one. <laughs> That's it. Like Saturday, I watched a half of the the Lions and Dogs game, and then went to the Gabba to watch the the women play, and um, scrambled home in time to cover the Suns game off the TV. And um, and obviously, you're trying to keep up with the rest of the league as well. So um, I want to watch Gold Coast and Brisbane's next opponent the previous weekend when I can as well. So you so you know what you're looking out for um, when they play your local team. So yeah, there's plenty of footy, but. Uh, um, I'd certainly, I'd certainly be happy to watch a bit of VFL because um, it helps inform you. I mean, otherwise, I'm just talk, talking to people and gathering information is a job, but if you can see it, I'd much prefer to see it with my own two eyes. So um, that'd be great if we could see a bit more VFL this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got so many questions over 
the Suns' huge list. I mean, they've got 49 players on their list and we only see 22 to 23 now of their yep. players every week. Um, so seeing where some of these other players are, your, your Sam Flanders, your Josh Corbett's, um, seeing how the young guys are going, Alex Davies, um, Fife, um, yeah. Mal Rosa. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. yeah. How are these guys developing? We, I mean, it's fine for me to watch them at training one session a week, maybe if we're lucky, but it's nothing unless you see them playing under um, game pressure and game intensity. So um, I'm really optimistic about the construction of this VFL season and um, and what it'll do for the for the players, um, you know, development over the season. So, yeah, I can't wait for it to start this weekend. Yeah, absolutely looking forward to that. Will any of the VFL uh, results, um, like match reports, will that be available on the AFL.com website or is that oh, something you go through and find the VFL website for that? Yeah, I think you'd go to the VFL website. I, I could be wrong here, so anyone that's listening, don't... Um, quote me on it per se but I, I believe there's going to be some match reports on the VFL site and and I believe our website will do like a wrap which is something we've we've done in previous years as well we'd have a um, a journalist working on um, each afternoon of the weekend to to wrap up the results basically so but I think the VFL will be your first port of call yeah okay and uh, just before we go one question more question do you think Jared Harbrow should have been suspended for that bump on uh, Michael Gibbons? Um, maybe I'm biased, but no, I, I don't. I thought the the fanfare was fanfare is probably the wrong word, but I thought it was a little bit over the top. My initial thought was he was going for the ball, had his hands down, the ball bounced, and he could he could sense in the last stride that there was about to be a collision. So I thought he braced. Um, a lot of people saw it differently. Um, how did you see it? Yeah, I thought there's potential for there to be trouble. And I think if Michael Gibbons was actually concussed, then he would have been suspended. I think oh, in I the agree, end I that saved that. him. Yep. And they just settled it as it was just a normal contest, both people going for the ball. Just because one bloke got there a split second earlier and braced for contact, it, it was deemed just an accident. It's really, really tricky because mm. no one, we don't want to see guys, you know, having concussion issues or whatever. But um, in that instance, someone, people were saying Harbour ran past the ball. I mean, that's that's not the truth. No, I think um, that was a bit of a stretch. And I'm just not, I'm just not sure what the players are supposed to do in that instance. Mm. Uh, it's really tricky. But I agree with you. If he, if he was concussed, it's it's almost as much as concussion is an automatic twelve days out for the person that's being concussed it's now it's almost an automatic suspension for the person on the other end of it yeah all right well let's leave it there thank you very much for joining me tonight michael and uh we hope to have you on the show i'm trying to plan something special but we'll keep that under wraps for now uh so hopefully we'll have you back on the show around time of the q clash sounds good shane look forward to it all right thanks michael bye thanks mate If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. 
If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com.